friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. to go to God's Word, and I'd like us to take a look at Psalm 119 and verses 25 to 32 at this time. I'd like everybody to please rise from their seats. Psalm 119 and verses 25 to 32, I'd like all of us to read together aloud at the count of three, all right? So here we go, one, two, three. My soul cleaves to the dust, revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me, and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this wonderful Sunday morning. Thank you for opening this up with your presence. And we just want to bless you and thank you that you have provided comfort already in our hearts, even before the preaching of God's Word. And we thank you for the assurance that you give to us, and we are thankful, Lord, that we are in your midst and that you are seated on your throne. And this morning, once again, we ask your blessing upon us, your people, O God. We wait with anticipation to encounter you in your word. And we pray, Father, that you might speak to us gently and powerfully and gloriously. Lord, that we might know that it is you that is speaking to us. I ask for myself, O God, that you might give me the voice of a prophet so that as I speak, Lord, I do not just speak from a manuscript, but I speak, Lord, as one who is guided by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you and bless you, and we will give you back all the glory and all the praises and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, I've entitled this morning's sermon, Prescription for Depression. Again, the title is Prescription for Depression. Of course, you and I know that depression is a common experience. I mean, everybody goes through a period of depression. And interestingly, we find here in the psalm that we will be studying a psalmist who actually was in a period of depression. And so it would interest us to find out how was he able to overcome depression? Because as I mentioned to you, depression is something that hits us. It does not matter really how spiritual you are or what your achievements are in so far as ministry and your personal life is concerned. There comes a time and a moment wherein you see your very limitation. 
and you are at your wit's end, you do not know what to do, you do not know where to turn to, you're probably confused, you're probably in panic mode, you're probably having anxiety attacks, and so you're asking yourself, where do I find the cure for my depression? How do I overcome this despondency that I have? Now, some of you might be arguing in your minds and, and saying, well, I'm not in depression right now. Well, friends, that might be true. But let me assure you that a time will come that there will be trials that will come your way. The question is, will you be prepared during that time? The question is, are you somebody who is armed to be able to do battle against that sickening depression that sometimes hits us? Now, these are things that I would like to be able to discuss to you. But basically, my main point is that we need to be able to center our lives on the Word of God. Because that is the only way, friends, that you and I can cure whatever depression we have. Now, that sounds so basic, and sometimes that is a truth that is largely neglected by so many people. And perhaps some of us do not even take the time to spend, or rather to take the time to go to God's Word and meditate on it day and night. Sometimes the Word of God can just be a weekend thing for us. We simply listen to God's Word when it is preached to us on a Sunday. Well, let me tell you, that's not enough. If you and I are going to be overcomers, if you and I are going to be victorious in our lives, the only way, one of the ways rather, that we can overcome is through the Word of God. So today, I'd like to be able to present to you three things. First of all, I'd like to be able to show to you the problem that was confronting the psalmist. Actually, maybe I should use not the singular, but the plural, because he had multiple problems that he was confronting. Then we will try and arrive at the solution. Where did he go? Where did he turn to? Where did he find comfort? So we will take a look at that as well. And then finally, we will talk about his resolution which hopefully becomes our resolution as well in our lives. So let's start off and let's survey the problems that he had. But first of all, let's take a look at the emotional state that he was in. In verse 25, here we find the problem. He goes, my soul cleaves to the dust. Now, obviously, you cannot take that literally because your soul cannot really cleave to the dust. This is what we call hyperbole. This is really an exaggeration. And the reason why the psalmist was exaggerating in a figurative way is because he wants us to feel the intensity of what he was going through. Now, this is a person who was really desperate. This was a person who was really searching for answers. He was groping for answers. And yet, sadly, at that particular point of time in his life, he did not have the answers. Now, I do not know your personal situation, but I would assume that there might be some of us who are going through a period of despondency. I do not know the reason why you might be going through that. Is it possible that you have a problem in your family? 
Is it possible that you have a problem in your marriage or that you have rebellious children and you don't know how to handle them? Or maybe you have a boss whom you feel is quite abusive and you've been hurt by some of the words that he has said. Or is it possible that you don't know where to go? You're really trying to find out what the will of God is and somehow you don't find an answer. Now, there can be a variety of reasons why we go through depression. And hopefully, we find comfort as we study this psalm. Again, we look at his depression. And by the way, he reiterates that depression in verse 28. He goes, My soul weeps because of grief. My soul weeps because of grief. Now, notice the expression here that he uses. He says he was weeping. Now, the fact that he reiterates basically the same thought and the same mindset and the same state of his emotion is really trying to say to us the intensity of what he was going through. And so, again, perhaps you can relate to that because you might be undergoing something in your life. I would like to be able to answer the question, what was it that was causing his depression? Well, based on the context of Psalm 119, we discover quite a number of things that were actually disturbing him. And what were they? Well, first of all, if you will take a look at verse 23, here's what we see in verse 23. It says, even though princess, now we're talking about very powerful people here, people of authority, people in government. It says, even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. So here we have a case wherein there were powerful people who were actually criticizing the psalmist. And you know how that could be daunting and overwhelming. When somebody is more powerful than you, when somebody has great authority, you fear that person because you know that he might do something that might hurt you. And here what we discover is that these powerful people were criticizing him. And he was probably wondering, what did I do to deserve this kind of a treatment? Why are these powerful people picking on me? Why are they creating problems with me? But that's just one of the things that became his problem. Now, take a look at verse 42, and again, we discover one other problem that he was facing. Here it goes. It says, So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me. So not only was he being criticized, there were some people who were reproaching him. They were expressing their disapproval of him. And it was possible that Maybe the reason why they were expressing disapproval on him was because of his strong beliefs, because of his convictions, because of his ethics and his morality. Perhaps he was uncompromising. And sometimes we do get in trouble when we are uncompromising. We do get into trouble when we are not willing to surrender our convictions and our values. Because people in the world do not understand why we can be so uncompromising, wherein the whole world actually compromises. 
So perhaps they're asking the question, what's the big deal? Why do you have to be strong on your convictions? Why do you have to be strong and stand on your beliefs and on your morality? But friends, if we are to be faithful to God, then we have no choice but to be faithful to the Lord and faithful to the convictions that He places in our hearts. But sure, it can bring trouble many, many times. In fact, Peter declares, the godly shall be persecuted. So are you experiencing something like that in your company where you are working? Maybe you're being held hostage, so to speak, by your boss because he cannot understand why you cannot do the things that he is doing. Well, that's possible. But then again, understand that we are serving a higher master, and that is our Lord. But then again, this was a situation that was bringing duress into the life of the psalmist. But let's continue on because there's more. Take a look at verse 51, please. And here's what it says. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. What were they doing here? The prideful were ridiculing him. They were ridiculing him. They were belittling him. They were spiting him. They were insulting him. That was what they were doing here. And so, can you imagine yourself going through all of this? And I know that some of you are tempted to say, well, Pastor Mel, you can confidently speak about that because the life of a pastor is an easy life. All you do is preach on Sunday. All you do is just read your Bible and pray, and I'm sure that you don't go through the same pressures that we go through. Pastor Mel, you're not in our world. Well, let me just tell you this. As I was meditating on this particular passage, the things I never, ever imagined would happen to me have all happened to me and are continually still happening to me. So don't say, I have an easy life. Don't ever think that I am in this ivory tower and just, you know, sipping a nice drink and having a fun time and just waiting for Sunday to come. No, friends, you don't understand the things that a pastor may go through. I was talking to Pastor Vincent just very recently. We just had, we just completed our one-week module. So we're already on the fourth, so we're going to the fifth. So two more modules to go, and we get to graduate. But anyway, he was sharing his story to me that his father was a pastor. And he was saying that, you know what? My father told me that he didn't want me to be a pastor. And so he asked his dad, Lord, Dad, why, why, do you, why don't you want me to become a pastor? And the answer was this, I don't want you to go through the same pains I've gone through. And then he became a pastor. And then he realized everything that his father said was actually true. When Pastor Tim was sharing to us uh, in the uh, expositor's class, he likewise became very transparent to us, and he began to share a little bit about his testimony, how sometimes he felt betrayed 
with people whom he had invested so much in. He had invested in their lives. He had invested time. He had invested whatever resources he had. And yet, he said, these very people in whom he invested his life in were the very same people who backstabbed him. And you could just sense, as he was sharing that, the pain in his heart. And once again, I don't know your situation, but I'd like you to be able to know that I can relate to this. I can relate to everything that the psalmist was sharing in this particular psalm, and so I'm not speaking out of fury. Because you might be thinking, well, you have a nice life, so maybe you don't have the same pressures that we have. Friends, believe me, I do go through this. So this is not something that I'm just lifting from a textbook and trying to explain to you. I did not just go and take a look at a commentary. In fact, with this passage, I didn't really look at a commentary. So I'm not lifting this from another author. I'm not resting on the shoulders of somebody. I'm not trying to copy somebody's comments on this particular psalm. This is real. This is the real deal for me. And that's why as I share to you, I'm hoping that in the same way I found comfort, you will find comfort. In the same way that I have found stability and strength and restoration, you too will discover that for yourself as we survey this psalm, as we study it. Because there is really so much here that will help you in your life. Life here on earth is difficult. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself said that in this world, we shall have many tribulations. Well, that's our world. We're not yet in heaven. And so, do expect times of difficulty and adversity. And when they happen, don't blame God. Don't raise your fist against God and say, Lord, what are you doing with my life? Why all this pressure? Why all these trials? Why all these adversities? Don't do that. We're only servants of God, and we are undeserving sinners saved by grace. And so we must not have this sense of entitlement that God is obligated to give us an easy life. Don't ever think that you are entitled to a nice, easy, problem-free life because God has redeemed you, because God has called you into His kingdom. No, friends, do not ever have that sense of entitlement. At the same time, understand this, that when you are going through difficult times and tough times in your life, God is trying to achieve something in your life. Perhaps He's shaping your character. Perhaps He's molding you. Perhaps He's humbling you. Probably He's stretching your patience or maybe even your faith. The only thing you and I are assured of is the goodness of God. And therefore, if He allows and permits certain things taking place in our lives, it is really ultimately for our own good. So what do we do? Well, we submit to it. We submit to it, but at the same time, we're not supposed to be passive, wherein we just sit down and let the storm pass us by, or sit down and let the flood just go by. No, we are to actively do something. But friends, I'm getting ahead of myself because there were other things that he was encountering. Take a look at verse 69, please. 
Here it goes. It says, The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. Have you ever been in a situation wherein people have been lying about you? And sometimes lies are actually more believable than the truth. Because people have this tendency to actually believe lies more than the truth. And that is why you and I could actually be a victim of lies. You and I could actually be a victim of gossip and slander. Well, this is exactly what the psalmist was going through. People were lying about him. And maybe the sad part, the difficult part here, the tragedy here, was that people were believing. And so he was losing his reputation here. Probably not that he was concerned about his reputation. But then again, when certain people lie about you and talk false things about you, that's hurtful. Because you know it's not true. You know that it is not true at all. And those things can really hurt you really, really bad. Well, that's exactly what was taking place here in the case of the psalmist. And not only that, guess what? Look at verse 78. It gets worse. It says, May the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie. But I shall meditate on your precepts. Now, we do not know exactly the situation and the position that he was holding on to, but here was what was happening. The lies were made to subvert him. The lies were made to undermine whatever power, authority, or influence he had. And so, obviously, he was losing his reputation with some people. Why? Because they were he was being undermined by certain people. There were certain people who were plotting against him, trying to subvert him. I can just recall what happened in the case of David when his own son, Absalom, actually plotted against him. And how he was almost able to turn the tables on his father and actually destroy his kingdom. Thankfully, of course, God in His sovereignty did not allow that. But can you imagine the pain of a David who was being undermined, not just by anybody, but being undermined somebody whom he loved? In fact, his very own son, his son whom he loved. And yet this son was plotting something terrible against him not mindful that he would die, not mindful that he would lose his kingdom, not mindful that maybe a lot of people would be greatly affected, in fact, the whole nation. But that was the case that David went through. So I understand what he was going through. I understand what David, how David could be despondent and grieving at that time. And again, this was what the psalmist was feeling at that time. But that's not the only thing. As I told you, it gets worse. Here we go to verse 85, please, all the way to verse 87. Here we go. It says, The arrogant have dug pits for me, men who are not in accord with your law. All your commandments are faithful. They have persecuted me with a lie. Help me 
They almost destroyed me on earth, but as for me, I did not forsake your precepts. Look at how difficult this situation was. The prideful, the prideful were actually laying out traps for him. They were watching his life. Why? For the purpose that he might be destroyed. And they were laying out traps before him so that he would stumble, so that he would fall, so that he would fail. And I keep on saying this as, as well for us believers in Christ. We live in a fishbowl existence. People are watching us, but they're not watching us to succeed. They're watching us to fail. And maybe the reason why they want us to fail is so that they have this lame excuse for rejecting Christ. Because they will say, look at your life. And friends, that is possible. But in this case, it seems like if you read the whole psalm, this man, this psalmist was righteous. This psalmist had strong convictions. This psalmist was walking the narrow path. He was walking the straight path. He was not walking the crooked way. And yet in spite of that, we find people who were laying out traps and trying to destroy him. It's really terrible. But we go to the last reason why he was having this depression. Look at 161. This is the longest psalm, by the way. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. Look at 161. Look at what he says here. Princess, persecute me with out cause. But my heart stands in awe of your words. He did not owe anyone any debt. He had not victimized anybody. He had not abused anybody. And yet, for no reason at all, he was being persecuted without cause. You know what comes to my mind right now? The Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because if you reflect on the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only thing that He ever did was good. What did He do? He healed the sick. He cast out demons who were oppressed. He performed miracles not only for the sake of performing miracles and show how powerful He was. He was performing those miracles with the intention of being able to help people. That is why he was able to multiply the bread and fish to feed thousands of people. He was able to turn water into wine so that the bridegroom would not be embarrassed and humiliated. That was what he did. He brought Lazarus back to life because his sisters were grieving. He cleansed those who were lepers, those who were outcasts, who could no longer live a normal life. They were outside Israelite society, could no longer be with their wives, could no longer be with their children. They were not supposed to be touched, but Jesus touched them and healed them, and their lives became normal again. You think about that, you find a perfect man with perfect deeds. Everything that he did was good. And yet, what happened was the Sadducees 
And the Pharisees plotted against him. For what reason? Because they felt that Jesus was now becoming preeminent. That people were now running towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And somehow there was envy that was creeping in their hearts. Previous to this, they were the esteemed, respected people of Israel. People bowed down to them in respect. And that this Jesus, who's supposed to be an ordinary carpenter, multitudes of people are following Him, and they would not have that. They envied that. They, they hated that. What did Jesus share? All He shared was the truth. And even as he spoke the truth without mincing words, what was his intention? The redemption of men. The atonement of our souls. In the preaching of the truth of God's Word, it was as if he was violently shaking people to get them out of their spiritual slumber. And as they would wake up, to the reality of the depravity of their own souls, they might find redemption in Him. Jesus was constantly inviting people to Himself. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me. What can we say about the Lord? A perfect life, a good man. Yet the very same people who cried out, Hosanna in the highest, were the same people who cried out, crucify Him. Thankfully, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ did not end with His death, but it ended with an empty tomb, His own resurrection. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God for that. Though men intended evil against Him, the Lord brought the greatest redemption or salvation that can ever be achieved for mankind, the redemption of our own souls. So again, as we reflect on this, we're thinking, well, if I were in the situation of the psalmist, I'd probably be depressed. Most especially if you're, if you're an upright man. Most especially if your desire is just simply to serve people and love people. And yet, in return, instead of being loved back again, instead of people serving you, what happens is that people are spiting you. They're spiteful of you. They hate you. They despise you. This was what was happening to the psalmist. So we ask ourselves, well, where do we arrive at a solution. And again, the solution seems so simple, it is actually taken for granted. Where lies the solution? Well, here's the solution. What did the psalmist say? Revive me according to your word. That's the solution. And you might say, Pastor Mel, you've been talking about You've been talking about 30 minutes already, and you say the solution to my depression is the Word of God. Yes! Only the Word of God is your cure for your depression. There lies the solution to your despondency. 
And yet, sadly, this is something that we often neglect. We do not read our Bibles on a daily basis. We do not meditate and study the Word of God deeply enough to strengthen and deepen our roots so that when the trials come, when the storms come, when the adversity comes, we're ready. This is what makes us ready. The Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. Amen? Never, ever underestimate the power of God's Word. Oftentimes, that is what happens. We take a look at the pages of the Bible and we wonder, what can these pages do to help me? But did not the Lord Jesus Christ say, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Hallelujah. Amen. They are spirit and they are life. So the Word is the answer that brings about our revival or restoration. However, I'd like us to know that apart from the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to understand God's Word. And once again, here is another person that we often neglect, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, or the third person in the Blessed Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We, we often take Him for granted. But do you know that if you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God indwells your body? And why do you think He indwells your body? to be actively involved in what you do and in what you say and how you minister. The Holy Spirit is there to take charge of your life. And therefore, if we are going to understand God's Word, we have to pray to the Holy Spirit that He might bring understanding to us through the Word of God. Notice the prayer of the psalmist. Notice two parallel thoughts. He goes, teach me your statutes. Have you ever prayed that way? Lord, I'm looking at the Bible. I don't understand it. Lord, could you please make me understand? Lord, I'm reading the Bible. I'm, I'm falling asleep whenever I read the Bible. It's become like a sleeping pill to me, Lord, because I don't understand it. Have you ever prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, make me understand? Make me see the wonders of your Word? Let me see you in the Word. Let me encounter you, Lord, because I know in the Word I will be able to encounter you in a powerful way. That is the attitude and mindset we should have when it comes to the Word of God, not just speed reading it, not just flipping the pages. And sometimes we think, well, that's Bible meditation. No, that's not Bible meditation. When we read the Bible, we have to have the intention of wanting to understand it, wanting to digest all of its truths and, and principles, because that's the only way you and I could be helped. So not only does he pray, teach me your statutes, he says, make me understand. Make me understand the way of your precepts. The question, my dear brothers and sisters, is this, are you hungry God's Word. 
Do you still have that spiritual appetite? Because if you are going to be able to encounter God in His Word, that spiritual appetite needs to be present. And sometimes the problem is this, we're no longer hungry. Sometimes the problem is we're no longer thirsty. Sometimes the problem is we are no longer seeking. We're just relaxing on our spiritual rocking chairs and not really wanting to have more. A spirit of complacency has taken over us. And that, friends, is very sad. We need the Holy Spirit. So let me bring you to the New Testament at this time, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. It says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know. There you go. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak not in words, taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." There you go. You want to understand the Bible? You want to understand the Word of God? Rely on the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Seek understanding. Lord, make me understand the depths of Your Word. Because friends, when we understand the depths of God's Word, it is the very anchor of our souls. That is what will steady our lives. That is what will revive us from a state of complacency. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to be able to do that to us. And the blessed assurance is that when we pray for God's illumination of His Word, He will answer. In fact, in this passage, we find that God answers prayers. Look at the two parallel thoughts here. It says, I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. God answers prayers. More so, the prayer of seeking illumination from God's Word. That is why the psalmist says here, so I will meditate on your wonders. What, ha what happened there? Why was he saying, so I will meditate on your wonders? What wonders was he talking about here? Was he talking about signs and wonders? Was he talking about miracles? No, friends. He was talking about the wonders of God's Word. The treasures that, that pop out and come out of the Bible, isn't it true that at times as we read the Scriptures, it seems like there are verses that are jumping out of the pages of the Bible and they grip our hearts, they arrest our minds, and we say, Lord, I got this. I understand this already. 
Lord, thank you, Lord, for the illumination. Thank you, Lord, that you made me understand your word. Oh, friends, that's what happens. You will begin to meditate on the wonders of God's word. And you will say, I never saw this before. I've read the Bible 200 times. And yet, this is, Lord, this is so fresh. This is so new. This is so powerful. This is so encouraging. Isn't that what the Bible does? It encourages and inspires us. As I meditate on the Bible, I look at the life of Joseph, the dreamer, for example, who was a slave and a prisoner for 13 long years. What a hard life he had. But I draw inspiration from that story, from that narrative, because at the age of 30, he becomes prime minister of Egypt. I draw inspiration from the life of Daniel, whom there were certain people who were plotting and subverting him, undermining him because they were envious of him. And eventually, he was thrown into a den of lions. And yet God, through the angel, shut the mouth of the lions. And instead of him being devoured by those lions, those who plotted against him found their plots returning back on their heads. I draw inspiration from that. I draw inspiration from Noah, who was being laughed and ridiculed because he was talking about rain coming, and at that time, rain had not yet appeared, and yet he was talking about this great rain that will flood the whole earth, and he was building this ark, and to people, he was a lunatic, crazy guy building this, this huge, huge ark, and talking about a coming flood, and they were... They were disregarding him. They were laughing at him. They were ridiculing him. But in the end, he enters the door of that ark. God shuts the door, and the rains come, the floods come, and a new world now begins through Noah. The Bible is inspiring. Amen? The Bible is inspiring. And so we do ourselves a great disservice by not searching the Scriptures. Notice what the psalmist says here. Again, a parallel thought. He says, strengthen me. How? According to your word. Strengthen me according to your word. The psalmist knew where to look for stability and to be able to withstand depression. It was through the word. The word of God was what would strengthen him. But let me add, lest we forget something very important, pay attention to what I'm about to say. It is not enough that you read and understand the Scriptures. Because if you stop there, the Word of God has no value to you. The only time the Word of God would be valuable in terms of benefits taking place in your life is when the Word of God is obeyed. And this is where, unfortunately, people stop. People stop at illumination. People stop at meditation. And when it comes to obedience to the Word of God, Lord, that's not for me. Well, friends, let me tell you, if you're looking for strength and stability in your life, 
If it's going to happen and take place, it's because you have been obedient to the Word of God. Notice what the psalmist says here. He says, I have chosen the way. This is, this is intentionality. He's not being passive about the Word of God. He says, I have chosen the way, Lord. It might be a hard way. It might be difficult because, Lord, if I obey you and I follow you, I might lose my friends. If I obey you and follow you, Lord, I might lose my job. If I obey and follow you, Lord, I might not get that promotion I was waiting for, that salary raise. If I obey you, Lord, I might lose this business deal. Lord, can I just this one time just give something under the table? Lord, you know how important this business deal is. This is, this is really, this is going to put me into big-time business. Lord, can I not just do it once? There lies the problem sometimes. Because there is a cost to faithful discipleship. There is a cost when you obey God's Word. My friends, understand, we are not the kings. He is the king. We are not gods. He is the God. We are merely His servants. And that's why I notice here the progression from illumination to obedience. I have chosen the way. I have placed your ordinances before me. And then He says, I cling to your testimonies. I cling to your testimonies. What will you do when you're hanging on a cliff? and there's a chain, what will you do? You will hold on to that chain for dear life. You will cling to it like anything. You know, there's a saying in Tagalog, I don't know how, how it's expressed in Cebuano, but the saying in Tagalog goes something like this, Ang taong nagigipit sa patalim kumakapit. Let me translate that. In English. I know I'm going to miss out on translation, but let me try. Let me give it a shot. Uh, here it goes. When a person goes through severe adversity, he will cling on to a knife. I hope it went well. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. When you cling on to a knife, most especially the sharp edges, what do you think is going to happen to you? You will be what? You will have cuts. You will have wounds. And this is something about our culture that is totally wrong. That's not supposed to be our value. And understand that, you know, that, that is what people say or what Filipinos use as an excuse. And they're saying, you know what, I'm into this. And this is what parents who have sold their children to cyber sex are saying. We're forced to this. We're selling our children, exposing their naked bodies, letting them do sexual acts because we need food on the table. Because we need to send them to school. What harm will it do if they just expose their bodies? 
That's the reasoning of many Filipinos. But here the psalmist is telling us, let's not cling to the knife. Let's cling to the testimonies of God. Amen? When we go through adversity, that's what we cling on to. The testimonies of God. The Word of God. The Bible. The Scriptures. We better change that line. When I go through adversity, I cling to your Word. That is what you and I should be saying. Now, this passage tells us clearly that it is not enough to understand what the Word of God says. We have to obey it. Let me reference Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, please. Here it goes. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. A lot of people, when they read the parables, they get discouraged because you have to figure out certain details and try to make sense of what the author is trying to say. But you see, here, let me give you a key in interpreting and understanding the parables. The first thing you need to do is look at the similarities. And what would the similarities be in this particular parable? Well, you have two men, and the similarity is that both men listened to the same word. You have two men who listened to the same word. And we would say the same thing, of course, in this particular juncture of time as you are listening to me. There are no two preachers who are preaching on stage right now. There are no two messages that you are hearing at this point in time. You're just hearing one message, one word that is being mentioned. And most definitely, there will be two kinds of responses. There can only be two kinds of responses when it comes to the Word of God. You cannot be neutral. Either you obey it or you disobey it. And in this parable, what is the difference? So we went and saw the similarities. Now take a look at the differences. And what would the differences be? Well, the difference is this. The first man mentioned there listened to the Word of God, and he what? He obeyed it. And then here's this other person in this parable who heard the Word of God, but what did he do? He did not obey it. Which brings us to the results. 
And the result is to the man who heard the word of God and obeyed the word of God, the storms came, the flood came, the rains came, and yet the house was well built. It was not shaken. It was not destroyed. It stood the test of the floods, the rain, and the storm. In contrast, we find the man who heard the word of God did not obey it. The storm came. The floods came, the rain came, and the house was not built on solid rock. It was built on sinking sand, and the house was wiped out. It was totally destroyed. That's a sobering reminder for all of us, isn't it? A sobering reminder that as you pay attention to God's Word. And friends, I'm just a messenger here. I'm nobody. I'm really nobody. All I do is just be a messenger. That's who I am. But this is not my Word. This is God's Word. And we have only two ways of responding to it. Either we obey it or we reject it. If we obey it, we're in good, solid ground. If we disobey it, we're putting our lives on sinking sand. And hopefully, that is not true. Now, as you talk about obedience, of course, some of you are thinking, well, I'd like to obey. Who doesn't want to obey? But I'm weak. I'm vulnerable. I'm, I'm a frail person, and I'm easily given in to temptation and and, you know, I, I just don't have the faith. That's why, haven't you noticed, in the psalm, the word and prayer go together. This is not just about a psalm that speaks about the Word of God. This is also a psalm that speaks about the component of prayer. That is why, notice here, he was praying. Notice the, the prayer of the psalmist, remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. He was the psalmist saying, Lord, I'm weak, I'm frail, but Lord, please remove the false way from me. And then he says, oh Lord, do not put me to shame. What was this? This was, this was dependence on the Lord. And that's what needs to happen. When we are praying, we're humbling ourselves and saying to God, Lord, I can't handle this. Lord, you need to help me. And oftentimes, we're prayerless, and you know what that means? It means we think we can handle our problems, we can handle life, and that's really pride. We need to be humble and pray as this psalmist. And guess what's going to happen? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Spiritual strength comes because we hold on to God's Word in answer to prayer. Likewise, as I mentioned to you, we see the connection between the Word of God and prayer. So look at verse 27, finally, and here is where we see, Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. This should also be cited as a solution. You know, when we, when we seek the, the face of God, we will begin to meditate on the wonders of God's Word. And how encouraging that will be. How that would lift that, that, 
that spirit or air of depression from our hearts and we would be re- it would it would be released and it would result in an overflow of thanksgiving an overflow of worship an overflow of being in awe in the presence of God because when you go to the word and, and the spirit of God just illumines it you encounter God sometimes you cannot help but start weeping and crying as you begin to see the wonders of God's Word, and you begin to say, Lord, how beautiful this is. Lord, how this has refreshed my soul. How this has strengthened my soul. Which, makes, which brings us to the last point, which is resolution, which should be a result of obedience. Notice what the psalmist says here, I shall run. Say run. Say it out loud. Say run says, I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. You know what the psalmist was saying here? By using that word, run. Have you seen a person running? A person who is running is in a rush. A person who is running is obviously intentional. He's, he's wanting to reach a particular destination as quickly as he could. You cannot always say that with people who are walking, right? People who are walking might just be walking. But people who are running, they're moving towards a direction. They have a goal in mind. And this is where we see that we cannot approach the Word of God passively. Here is where we see that we need to be intentional in obeying the Word of God because that is what will bring about revival and strength to our hearts. I believe this is what the psalmist meant when he said, enlarge my heart. Now, that's not a physically enlarged heart because that's bad. Enlarge our hearts means that we have a greater capacity to appreciate the things of God a greater capacity to be able to take in the truth of God's Word and make it a part of our lives. That's what it means here. And that tells us that obedience should be a way of life because ultimately, obedience is what brings blessings in our lives. I'd like to, you know, I'd like you to see the knockout punch here. I don't know if some of you are boxing fans, but sometimes you see that knockout punch, which is sometimes totally unexpected. It could be an uppercut, or it could be a swinging overhand right, but it's delivered, and it's something that people don't see coming, and it's just so powerful. This is so powerful. You know why? First of all, take a look at the beginning of the passage we read. How did it start? How did it start? In verse 25, this is how it started. It, it was about depression. My soul cleaves to the dust. How did it end? Look at verse 31. It ends with a positive note. It ends with an inspiring note because what it says in verse 31 is this, I cling to your testimonies. He finally saw the light, amen? Before he was saying, my soul cleaves to the dust, he's down, he's depressed. 
His head is down. His body is, is weighed down by, by this weight. But then he sees the light as he studied the Word of God. And now he says, I cling to your testimonies. Amen. Hallelujah. He saw the light. He saw the light in God's Word. Friends, are you facing depression today and don't know where to turn to? Is your problem blocking your view of the splendor and the might and the glory of God? Worry not. Turn to God in prayer for you to understand His Word. And as you understand His Word, move further by obeying His Word. And don't stop there with one act of obedience. Make obedience your way of life. And I tell you, if you are a student and a follower of the Word of God, you will overcome any and any kind of depression, and you will experience victory in your life. Amen? Give the Lord a big hand, please. So live in the Word. Center your life around His Word. We need to look to the Word during dark times. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your Word. And we just want to bless You, Lord, that we could just dive into Your Word and see the wonders of the sea of God's Word. Oh Lord, indeed, Your Word is spirit and it is life. And I pray for all of us, oh God, I pray that we may never ever take lightly and underestimate the power of Your Word. We pray, O oh God, that You might truly minister to us and give us obedient hearts, O oh Lord. Give us hearts, Lord, that would truly honor You and bless Your holy name. Make us diligent students of Your Word and faithful followers of Your Word. We give You thanks and praise for this morning. What a wonderful morning this was. And we thank you, Lord, that we could also give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And whatever is going to be achieved or what has been achieved, Lord, we return back to you all the glory and all the praises and all the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.